You're listening to Bajar, a podcast celebrating creators and innovators at different stages of their entrepreneurial journey. These people started their journey on the very streets that we're on. Why don't you come take a look? Everyone, please say hello to Nikhil Chinappa. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We, we know that your, your father was a paratrooper in the Indian Army. And obviously, that's a very honorable and respectable job. Was that ever a factor uh, in choosing your career? Well, I, I know he would have liked for uh, either my older brother or me, for one of us to have joined the army, but neither of us did. And But that's the great thing about having been brought up in, in the family that I was brought up in, is that they never put us under pressure to do anything that they wanted, or they never subjected us to any of their hopes, dreams, or aspirations. Um, my mom did want me to become a doctor. I didn't do that either. Um, I became an MTV VJ, and for the first couple of years, my dad was like, what is that? Why aren't you going to get a real job? You're an architect. You studied architecture. What is this MTV thing? <laughs> Just to like jump into your architecture story, like in your, you did undergraduate in architecture and you, your thesis was in hospitals. So I we just wanted to understand, like, how does that choice affected your life? And given, given the opportunity, would you change what you did at that time? You know that, that old saying about you're a sum total of your parts, mm-hmm. which is yeah. all the experiences in your life have made you who you are today. Um, architecture was a very strong part of me being who I am today because many people don't realize this. And I, and I, and I know the, the obvious question is, Hey, you studied architecture, but now you're part of the music business. You know, those two worlds just don't meet. But the funny thing is they do, they intersect beautifully in a space called the theory of design. Now, the theory of design explains why some things are beautiful and what makes a particular design more beautiful than the other. And you can say design is subjective and you know what one person finds beautiful, the other person doesn't. But in nature, there's something called the divine principle, which is a mathematical proportion that tends to repeat itself in nature many times over. So when you analyze why a certain person looks pretty is because the ratio of their forehead to the width of their eyes to the length of their face is in the proportion of the divine principle. It's all mathematical. I mean, God was a geek, for sure. It's, it, 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 it all is mathematics. And those things that I learned in theory of architecture is something that I've applied in pretty much every aspect of my life, from festival design to um, designing artwork to, to posters, stage design, the way we, we lay the festival out, environmental design in a festival, and just catering to the basic emotion of how a festival fan feels, because design is about, is about emotion. So when a person stands at one end of a corridor and he looks down the length of that corridor, what does he see? And what he sees evokes a certain emotion in him. Now, how do we carry that emotion forward as he turns the corner and looks at something else? And that's pretty much what I'm doing in my festivals as well, because I hate for festivals to be an open plan where you can see everything at one go. I like for festivals to unfold more like a comic book, like a storybook, where every time you turn a page, you see something different. So I like for there to be movement in my festival design I like for there to be movement in music. I hate for one sound or one genre to run across the entire day at a stage. I like there to be progression. I like there to be variety, depth, drama, nuance, and all of that is architecture. So Submerge, you started in 2003. And for our listeners who, who don't know what Submerge is, it's a booking agency, concert promoter, art, artist management agency with the goal to connect Indian dance music fans with the best DJs around the world. So just to understand like how you're different and how and why you started Submerge, we just want to dive a bit into that and really understand your thought process be, behind starting Submerge. Well, actually, Submerge started before Submerge started, if that makes sense. Officially, we, we, we threw our first 
branded Submerge Night in 2003. That's where we came up with the name Submerge. But in the early 2000s, my wife, Pearl, used to fly with KLM and she used to go across to Amsterdam and bring music back from Amsterdam and, and throw parties in Delhi. And that's when she started making contact with DJs in Amsterdam and we started booking DJs from Amsterdam and bringing them back to India. This was even before Submerge was born. And then when we met in the early 2000s and we traveled to Ibiza, it was Pearl who first said we should try and bring this culture back to India, at which point in time we hadn't even thought of Submerge or the name Submerge. Mm -hmm. We started doing Submerge events because we got tired of the music that was being played in clubs in Mumbai and they just tended to be very repetitive, very commercial, very radio top 40. And a lot of us loved to hear music and sounds that we hadn't heard before because for us, music and going out clubbing was almost like an education that was also a lot of fun. You heard something and went, wow, what is that song? I've never heard that before. What a great bass line. I love that vocal. And then you start looking for that song. You know, that becomes, you become like obsessed with it. And for... For that group of people who loved music in that manner and didn't want to hear the same, you know, top 20 song played for the 15th time in a night because somebody's girlfriend requested it, we didn't have a place to go. So the two rules that we made at Submerge was, number one, um, nobody could tell the DJ what to play. So if you booked a DJ and he played at Submerge, you recognize that the DJ was an artist. And that sort of philosophy came from Pearl because she, she takes DJing and music very seriously. You recognize that the artist is an artist. You don't tell a painter what to paint or, or, or a cook what to cook. And if the guy was doing a bad job on the night, it's our fault because we booked him, right? And the second rule that we made was we encouraged DJs not to use the microphone and let the music do the talking for itself. So no, hey, put your hands in the air and what's up, Mumbai? No, none of that. So it, it became like a sort of a very pure thing. And we did that because that's the way we felt about it. What we didn't realize was every single DJ in India felt exactly the same way about music. Because most DJs collect a lot of music that they're truly passionate about. But when they go to clubs, they end up playing what the crowd wants. Because the manager tells them to do that. The club owner tells them to do that. It's somebody's girlfriend's birthday. So she wants that popular song for the sixth time as she downs her 14th tequila shot. You know, So it got really frustrating for DJs who had become DJs because they couldn't do anything else with their lives. They, music was the only thing that made sense to them. And those are the guys that became DJs because back then DJing wasn't lucrative. It wasn't an exciting career prospect. People who became DJs did it because music was the only thing that made sense to them and it made sense to them in a way that nothing else did. Not law, not fashion, not cooking, not science, not maths, nothing. Music made sense to them. And when you're that kind of person, you end up collecting amazing music. So when we made these two rules at Submerge, we suddenly had a list of India's top DJs wanting to play at Submerge Nights because they wanted right. to play the music that they always wanted to play, but they never got the chance to play. And it took off really quickly. And, and, and okay, so that kind of addresses the supply side, right? But when you're looking at a regular Indian mainstream listener, how did you capitalize on that opportunity and uh, sort of gain traction from, from a listener's point of view? How did you get them to go... We one of the first few things we said at Submerge is that Submerge is not for everyone. It's not everybody's cup of tea. And if it's not your cup of tea, it's okay. As long as you love music, whatever music it is, go out there and celebrate it. We love this music. And if you want to kind of come and join our party, we welcome you with open arms. If you love some other music, go to another party. And we'll still love you. But what we won't do is play the music that you like because you like it at our party. And we a couple of times even said that on the microphone saying, like, you'd, you'd have somebody come up and say, hey, can you play Bollywood or can you play hip hop? And a couple of times it'd be somebody who's had a few drinks and they'd be like insistent, right? And I'd, I'd pull the fader down 
And I say, listen, no, I don't want to be rude, but it's 12 o'clock now. We're going to shut at 1.30. You've got 90 minutes left. If you leave now, you can still get to a place that plays the music that you want. Because over oh, here, wow. you're not going to get it. And I'd say it yeah. really politely, really nicely. And it probably, still, it probably still came across as rude. But I do this in a nice way saying, look, if you leave now, you can still get to another place where they're playing your kind of music. But it's not going to happen over here. We just cemented that sort of philosophy as we, as we did night after night. Did you see organic growth there? Organic and explosive. Because like I said, it, it was championed by all the DJs across India because all the DJs wanted to play submerged nights where nobody... Not the club owner, not the manager. Nobody could tell them what to play. That was the only rule that we made when we partnered with the venue to do submerged nights. So, 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 so then essentially you went from from DJing personally to to, to, to starting Submerge, and then you went on and co-founded one of the biggest uh, music festivals in India, uh, Sunburn. So, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that, how that started, and uh, what your vision was for Sunburn when you when you got involved. Um, I got a call from a friend of mine called Amanand, whose name is Amanand. Mm-hmm. He um, used to be a part of a company called Percept. Percept was an event management company. They did weddings and corporate launches and, and things like that and, and, and a few musical events. And because Submerge had been well established by that time, Aman called and said, you know, we want to do a music festival. Would you like to come along and, and have a chat with us? So right. I went along to the office and um, they had registered a property called India International Dance Festival, IIDF. And I think I think it may have been um, because there's something called IFA that was done by a, a competing yeah. event management company. So I think that that may have been the thinking, although that's 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 not really confirmed. Um, so IIDF was what they said. We want to do IIDF, and I and I said that sounds like a Bharat Natyam conference. <laughs> so that was that was the only input that I had from Percept. They had no idea what to call the festival. They had no idea what artists to book. They had no idea where to do the festival, when to do the festival, and Sunburn at that point in time, the name came from me. Um, the festival was driven largely by this the Submerge online forum, which is a community of people that, that passionately discuss music all the time. Um, the venue was my partner at Submerge, Hermit Sethi. Um, he, has, uh, uh, he had another business in, in fashion. And his partner right. in fashion, her friend owned the land where we did Sunburn. Mm. So we got the oh, land. Wow. My friend in Goa, David, helped us with local logistics. So he became a local Goa partner. The dates that we picked were the same dates that Submerge did its annual um, beach parties at Zanzibar and Baga Beach. So everything right. came from my wife, Pearl, me, and Hermit, and the Submerge team. What's been a little amusing, and I say amusing because you know I'm, I'm over this, is for my erstwhile partners to try and claim that legacy and say, no, 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 we did, we did it all. I'm like... Dude, for the first three years, you weren't even on site. You weren't even around. Like, what are you talking about that you did it all? But we're over that now, and, and we've moved on, and I've gone on to um, set up BH1 Supersonic, and um, that's doing really well. So anyway, so that's how, that's how Sunburn came about. That's how we, we picked those dates, and all those DJs got booked. And, and, and the DJs that we booked initially were all the DJs that Pearl and I had heard across the world and, and across the beats, and we, we wanted to share their music with, with fans that we, with our friends over here back in India, and and that's how the festival lineup came about. Um, like, how would you deal with uh, internal conflict? How did you deal with it? Um, how you should deal with internal conflict is through dialogue and, and hopefully to try and resolve it. Mm-hmm. But if you feel that you're not going to be able to resolve it, then my advice would be get out as soon as you can. Don't drag it out. Because as soon as you get away and you, and you start the next chapter of your life, 
the better it is. So mm-hmm. don't try and hang on. And, th- and a lot of people spoke to me and said, you know, but you gave up so much. You kind of, you abandoned all of that wealth and all that money that you could have made from, from your share of sunburn. I'm like, you know what? That's, that's notional values perceived. Mm-hmm. Right. It was, it was never, it never existed. We kind of made it up. Absolutely. And then I walked away from it and I sleep well at nights. Yay. <laughs> so, but, but, but do you think it's something that, I mean, again, we don't want to dive into the details, but do you think it's something I that, that, but you keep asking the next question. Do you think it's something that could have been resolved through dialogue? Oh yes. It was, it was tried, it was tried for a while and then, and then it, it sort of, um, it didn't work. I put it to you very simply, right? Mm-hmm. I had a I had a stake in Sunburn, which my partners refused to give me. So okay. then after six years of saying, hey guys, it's been six years, and they're still like, no. And I was like, okay, then I need to go. Yeah. And I went. So a lot of conversation happened between that time of, you know, what's going on? It's been six years. What the heck? And all of that happened. And then it was just like push back, push back, push back. So you, so you left Sunburn and you became a partner at Supersonic, right? Yeah. So what, what was, I mean, and, and now that's a festival that kind of directly competes with, with Sunburn at some levels, right? So how yeah, did... Not really, because we, we, Supersonic is a very different festival. And how would you explain that? What, what, what would you say the difference between Sunburn and Supersonic? Well, the original idea for any festival that I worked on was, for never, was, was never for it to be a single genre festival. It was, it was always meant to be multi-genre. It was always supposed to evolve. You know, the, the, the point that I made many years ago about the festival that I wanted to be a part of was going to have 17 stages in 10 years. And I made that comment mm-hmm. to the press. 17 is actually just a random number. It doesn't mean actually 17. It means that a festival that I want to be a part of should involve, should involve and embrace a wealth of different experiences not just mu- musically, but also emotionally. So I wanted mm-hmm. for there in a festival that I did, not just to have different music genres on stage, but also have spoken word, to have art, to have digital art as well, to have cinema, drama, um, um, a completely curated food and dining experience with many different types of burgers and pizzas and salads and, and you know, 10 different types of coffees because that's what I wanted a festival to be a part of. I wanted there to be a camping experience and for camping, not just to be a two person tent that you pitch in the ground, but for the camping experience also to have multiple layers. Everything that I wanted to do was much like my experience from architecture. It had to be layered for that experience to be magical. It couldn't just be two dimensional. And that's what we've tried to build supersonic into a multi-dimensional, multicultural, multi-genre experience as opposed to the mm. festival that I left behind, which is, well, it is what it is. We'd really like to get your, your, your take on, for example, uh, women's safety. What kind of actions and, and, and steps are being taken to really ensure uh, that uh, certain standards are being met? Um, so making dance music and music as a whole a safe space, not just for women, but for people of all backgrounds, a safe space for everyone, is really important in my eyes yeah. so we're going yeah. to constantly work at making sure that that the events that i do are a safe space whether you're a girl whether you're from the lgbtq community whether you are differently abled whether um you are a misfit in society 
Everybody's welcome because our events need to be more inclusive because music is about being inclusive. It's not about being exclusive. So we're constantly going to work and keep coming up with ideas where we make the events that we do a safe space for people in general. There is a priority on women because of the atrocities against women and the crimes against women and how women are targeted at crowded events by, by men with nefarious in intentions. So yes, we will focus on that a little bit more. But yeah. the overall objective is to make sure that, that music as a platform is a safe space for everyone. Great. And, and, and what, what kind of steps are, I mean, what, what kind of things do you see maybe changing to meet those uh, safety standards? Um, there's, there's multiple things that we do with, you no, know, the women's only bar is one thing. There's, there's, there's more security. There's QRT teams that patrol through the crowds. There's messaging that happens from stage where we encourage people to not turn a blind eye. So if, if somebody's misbehaved, the girl to kind of, as, as part of the community, and one of the messages that we go out, we keep saying is if you see something, say something because we're one community. Security can't be everywhere at all times, so we need to look out for each other. And we're going to be there to back you if somebody's misbehaving and, and, and acting funny. And we see a lot of positive responses from that because we, we, we see that women feel safer. So essentially targeting your vision really well, like making the artists really come together with what you're trying to do is, is the whole point of like how you... More often than not, for a project to be successful, mm -hmm. all that it requires is the stubbornness of one individual. To say, no, we're not going to do it any other way. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it this way. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to go back on this. We're going to get this done right and just be stubborn about it. That's pretty much been me and all the projects that I've worked, in, worked on. Mm -hmm. If somebody doesn't fit into that vision, if somebody doesn't say, hey, no, I want to do it differently or I don't agree with you, I'm like, okay, you don't need to be a part of this because I'm not in corners. I'm not doing this any other way except this way. Mm -hmm. And if you have a better solution, I'm all yours. And if I... and and if, if I like your solution, we'll definitely adopt it. It's not like I'm not being precious about my design or precious about my ideas or my thoughts and saying, these are my ideas and they're the best ideas. I'm like, no, I sometimes have really stupid ideas and I need people around me who are confident enough in themselves to say, Nikhil, that's a really stupid idea. That's never going to work. And I'm go, well, you know what? Actually, you're right. That was a stupid idea. Let's think of something else. And, and, and when, you, when, when you're trying to find people, you know, the people to surround yourself with in, in terms of, you know, uh, generating ideas or uh, figuring out logistics? How do you do that? Like well, personally, I'm a strong believer in never breaking something, never fixing something unless it's broken. Perfect. Right. That means that I, I try to work with the same teams over and over and over again because you just get better when you, when you work with the same people um, over the years. The second thing is you, you surround yourself with excellence. Right. If mm -hmm. you want to be right. good yourself, you work with the best people in the business. And the third thing is you don't micromanage. So if you, if you have a guy who's a production designer, you sit down with him, you explain your vision to him, and then you ask him what his solution is. You don't tell him how to execute. You don't tell him what to do. It's the same thing with stage design, security, with F&B. You trust people, and when you trust them, you say, okay, here's what we're trying to do. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with this vision? Yes. Now, how are you going to work on your department to bring that vision to life? And he tells you, you go, great, good job, go for it. You don't micromanage. You don't go, like, oh, this is green. No, I think that should be blue. Or can we make this a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller? Can you? No. That would just... Then you, then you, then you surround yourself with interns if that's, what, that's how you want to work. We want to thank you so much for being here. We don't want to take more of your time. If I can be honest, Shashank and Nub, if I, if I, if I want to leave people who are going to watch this with one message, it's not about nurturing creativity. It's not about being creative. It's more about what I said a while ago about being stubborn, about just sure that you stay true to your vision and that you just work your ass off to achieve the goals that you set up for yourself. And things 
will happen as long as you put in honest filters and say, hey, hang on a second, I'm doing this. Is it really going to work? Because nine times out of 10, if you're honest with yourself, you know the truth, you know the answer of whether it's good enough or whether it's not good enough and whether it needs to be improved and where it needs to be improved. You know it. When you put out a song and say, and your uncle and your auntie say, Beta, tu itna gata hai, you sing so well. You know, man, I don't I'm not a rap star just because I wrote two lines. I'm not, I mean, you have to be honest with yourself. And if people can do that, I think that'll be fantastic. Just be stubborn and just set your own benchmarks. Mm-hmm.